This episode is brought to you by Vertera Dinnerware. Learn more at Vertera.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-R-R-A dot com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents? And how much more could it provide if um, we just made it a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3. HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Zara Jingora and Bobby Comforto. Hey folks, uh, welcome to another week of life. How are you? What's happening? Are you guys okay? Hopefully, yes, mostly. Hopefully it's a net positive and, uh, if not, we are sending good vibes your way. Um, today we have a special episode. It is just Babby and I, the two of us old so-and-sos, uh, kind of catching up with each other and talking about different grief that, you know, we're either experiencing or that are that's happening in the world around us. It's a hectic time. Not sure if anyone has noticed, but um, yeah, we're catching up with each other, mom and mom and daughter having a little chat. And uh, it was a really lovely chat, actually. Um, Not that that's a surprise. I love chatting with Bobby. She's amazing and insightful and wise and kind, as all of you have come to know. Um, So I hope you enjoy the chat and please reach out to us. You can follow us at Processing Podcast on Instagram and uh, drop us a line. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Do you have a story to share? Do you have a listener letter you would like to um, have read on the air or just something you want to tell us personally, please. We'd love to hear from you and please rate review and subscribe this show, subscribe to the show. Um, it actually really helps, uh, us just get more visibility and reach more listeners, which we definitely want to do. So again, sending well wishes and, uh, good vibes to everybody out there and please enjoy my chat with Bobby and Bobby's chat with me. All right. Bye. Hey, Bobby. How are you? Hi, Zara. How are you today? <laughs> Hi. Hello. I'm okay. It's really nice to chat with you. We decided today, folks, that we're going to do uh, kind of just like a little catch-up episode between just Bobby and I um, because there's so much going on in the world and, you know, also in our personal lives dealing with grief. And we figured it was like a kind of good time to just have a one-on-one with you all. It's also 9-11 today. September yes, 11th. And actually, it's um, 10 o'clock here. So these were just the hours that uh, everything was going down 19 years ago. Yeah. 
So I'm feeling that in a pretty heavy way. You know, as you know, Zora, and I don't know if the listeners know, but I had spent four years working in a 9-11 project with 9-11 families. So um, it's very um, obviously meaningful and uh, particularly um, significant to me to be with you today. Totally. So yeah. question, since I'm in host mode, question for you, Bobby. No, but seriously, um, what was it that compelled you? Can you just tell us a little bit about that time 19 years ago when you did when you did work um, with all those groups in 9-11, post 9-11 and all the families? Uh, what compelled you to do it? Like, how did you end up there? What were you doing before? What was that like all about? Sure. Well, on this day, 19 years ago, I was working in hospice and I was starting a group that morning. And it was a group of um, people who had just lost their spouses. It was the first day of an eight week group that was to begin. There were about 12 people coming to the hospice location where I worked and uh, they were supposed to come at 10 o'clock, which is right about now. And of course, we I had been in the office about 830 and on the way, actually on the way in is when I first heard about it on the radio. Mm. And I got into the office and we were all just... Um, dumbfounded we were just paralyzed and we just yeah. made a circle we didn't know what else to do you know we we're all bereavement um, professionals and working in grief and we just sat there and cried holding hands and I knew the time of the group was approaching and about five to ten I went out to these lovely people out there and I said to them folks I don't know what to say do, do you want to continue with the group I mean you know it's a very hard moment and they all every single one of them said yes we want our group and wow. I remember sitting in that group just, I don't know, I kind of probably felt like George Bush when he was reading the book. You know, I felt <laughs> numb. You know, I just felt so numb. I had to, and then finally I had to just jump in with those folks and just be with them in their process. Because, you know, a lot of people when they're grieving and there's a national emergency or a, a, an emergency, they want to focus on them. They don't want to focus on the emergency going on. They said, I'm grieving. This is my time. This is mm. important for me. So I think mm. it was one of those moments. But right after that, we started getting a lot of phone calls at the hospice. Um, and I started doing, you know, radio interviews and, you know, a lot of discussions about grief. Um, I was asked to speak at different um, companies and corporations. And so I did a lot of speaking at that time. And then um, my husband, Rob, who's a video producer, was working for um, South Nassau Community Hospital, which is on the south shore of Long Island, where there were many, many losses in that area. Um, what was Rockwell he working Center. doing? Right. For, I mean, I know, but he, well, he works for the hospital and does, um, you know, he'll videotape nurses He's or a surgeries. He's a videographer, right? So I, re- I found out that they were starting a project there. So within about, I guess, eight or nine months after nine eleven, I, I moved. I left my job at hospice and went over to um, South Nassau Community Hospital, where they started the World Trade Center Family Center, mm. and it was. Um, a program. It wasn't just a counseling program. It was a family center. And a hundred families in that area came with their kids and their parents and their siblings. And they all had many, many losses. Some of them had multiple losses. Um, and they came together in all kinds of groups. They came together in groups of commonality, whether it be parents who lost children, spouses who lost spouses, but sometimes all the families would mix and we would do projects together and we would go on trips together. We would cook together, eat together. And I worked there for four years. It was a very, very creative time of my life. And um, so when I think of when I'm 9-11 um, anniversary, I think of all those families and I think about all their losses. And I also worked in Project Liberty, which was the New York State training program for um, 
helpers, uh, therapists to help people who were rescue and recovery workers and evacuees. So we were helping people with post-traumatic stress. We were being trained in post-traumatic stress. Yeah. So I was doing both those things at the same time. Interesting. So, I mean, something that you and I were chatting about yesterday was the juxtaposition of the uh, national reaction to the tragedy of 9-11 as opposed to a very divided reaction, national reaction to the massive tragedy of the coronavirus um, pandemic in this country in which we've lost at this point around 200,000 lives. Mm -hmm. And yet the... uh, the tone surrounding 9-11, and, and this by no means should take away the severity and the pain surrounding 9-11 at all, but comparatively to, you know, the much larger death toll of what's happening now with coronavirus, although mm-hmm. it seems to be split, and obviously there's reasons, you know, we have leadership who is telling folks that it's not a big deal and they shouldn't wear masks and providing a really divisive voice to this entire thing, which is obviously hugely problematic and a lot of the reason for that. But it's very interesting to me how, you know, 20, almost 20 years later, we're mourning in a very different way for, you know what I mean? A oh, I know exactly what you life mean. in this country. And it's very yeah. strange. When I watched the, um, some of the memorial service this morning on the radio, on the TV, that's what I really felt. I felt saddened by what's happening now more than anything. I felt sad by the divisiveness. I felt um, we were so unified at that time. It was unbelievable, you know, what we felt as a nation. It felt like um, an affront to our nation, and this is an affront to our nation right now. So I agree with you. I'm saddened by the divided aspect of what's going on in the grief right now. I think that in 9-11, and this is not a positive thing, but I think with 9-11, that aside from the... The, the being able to unify around the actual tragedy of it, I think that the messaging was about a common enemy, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because the enemy in a lot of ways was unreal, obviously, right? Like going to war in Iraq with an, mm-hmm. a non-real mm-hmm. enemy. But I think mm-hmm. that there was a face of otherness and something very specific it could be pointed at and be like, you know what I mean? Whereas like, mm-hmm. and people directed... A lot of people directed their anger towards that. I mean, of course, there's a lot of very like kind, regular, normal folks who were able to unify around 9-11 in a different way. But mm-hmm. in this case, it's kind of a larger thing and it's everyone's own personal responsibility to be safe and to make sacrifice in order to, to eradicate this problem. And I think mm-hmm. at this point in human history in this country, a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And so it's yeah. not as easy to just say, you know, we're all in this together. And again, the messaging that's coming from the top is extremely dividing. And yeah. so and has been, and it's been going on for years. So it's, yeah, I feel saddened by that, deeply saddened. And I, yeah. I, I always try to think of ways that we can unite, you know, as, as humans, you know, and feel a common spirit inside. It's, it saddens me so deeply that we're divided. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and that's a lot of a, like, a larger conversation. And, you know, I think on this show, we aim to stay away from getting too deep into, like, our political views, because I think this needs to be a safe space for everybody mm-hmm. to come and be a part Absolutely. of um, a great Absolutely. community. But um, that being said, you know, 
I made this this analogy to you yesterday of like, I don't know, I guess I started thinking about this because like I talk to my neighbor every single day and I, I really like my neighbor. He's a wonderful person and we chat and we shoot the shit and he's an old school guy from the block and sometimes I notice that he's wearing a MAGA t-shirt. You know, and yet I, because I just like really like my neighbor and I find that there's so much good in him and he makes me laugh and he's Mm -hmm. really an awesome guy. Mm -hmm. I find myself connecting with him. And when I, when I moved in here and I started having this rapport with this guy, it just kind of made me think about our lost sense of togetherness and humanity and how I I made the analogy to yesterday of like if your house is on fire like and some and the firefighters come over to put it out they come in you're thankful you're grateful to them they're brave they're heroic they're helping you and you don't bother to say like hey what you know what's your politics you're just like in this moment of like actual humanity right and there's something Mm -hmm. about that that's very beautiful and I think we used to exist in that in a much larger way and I'm certainly not ignorant to the the reasons for why that's not possible a lot of the time and I'm certainly not uh, unaware of um how this time has illuminated some people's really dark qualities and how it's not very easy to want to participate in relationships with people who have like really dark views and racist views and um really individualistic agendas, but it is just a, a very interesting time in which we've like kind of lost our togetherness in a way. And I'm not really sure how to get it back. And it is very mm-hmm. surprising to me that this crisis hasn't unified people more. Well, it did. If you remember correctly, when it first started, and certainly we're in New York, we're you know, speaking as New Yorkers, mm-hmm. and there was so much um, COVID and there was such a crisis going on. And the hospitals were a perfect example. It was the beginning. You could feel that unity. Certainly, it's like the burning building when people came into the hospital, the doctors, yeah. the nurses, the aides, everybody, no one cared. You know, everyone yeah. that was just a human being that came in. And then there was the unity of people celebrating the, the healthcare workers and, and there was such a unifying feeling. And not there just the healthcare workers, but the all the frontline workers. And then even that got divisive. Yeah. So it's very sad. It's been a sad, sad time. I don't know about you, Zara, but I I feel a, a deep sadness for the world and with everything going on now with COVID and the fires and it just it feels like we're all burning. It just feels like such a scary It's time. hard. And I find yeah. myself too, even like I'm having a grief again, not to get too political, but surrounding this election cycle in which like in the past, you know, I've always voted democratic and I'm certainly not, not going to vote democratic this time, but um, I've felt a hopefulness uh, surrounding elections and being like, you know, certainly when Obama was elected in 2008, I was young and, I felt a really, I felt like, you know, I was just different. I, and I believe different things. And in this election, in this time when everything is so dark, I feel also like I'm personally, and again, Mm -hmm. anyone's political beliefs is up to them, but personally I'm experiencing a grief surrounding Mm -hmm. the election because I don't feel hopeful in either Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And it's dividing me because I'm not, because I'm now in my life of, progressive and a left and a you know a leftist um and I find it dividing me from my loved ones too who are Mm -hmm. who are still 
understandably needing to find hope in being excited mm-hmm. about voting in Joe Biden because it's yeah. bleak not to have any hope. I feel ho- hopeless and sad about that. That's mm-hmm. causing me a lot of grief. The the, the arguments with people who I've normally, you know, in the past agreed with and we've been on the same mm-hmm. side and right. that feels like a lot. And yeah, I mean, I'm finding myself looking and around every corner to try to find some kind of like peace and hopefulness. And it's really hard to find it right now outside. Well, I feel I'm very fortunate. I talk about this all the time. And I think um, our show illuminates that as well. Processing illuminates it. But when we actually talk individually with human beings, you know, about commonalities, about areas and grief is one area that we, we share a commonality about. And food is one area that we share a commonality. Yeah. So I have the blessing of every day talking to 12 to some odd people, a dozen people or so. And, and that is the, like you with your neighbor, you know, I get the chance every single day and it does bring me hope. It really does bring me hope. So that's the one um, light for me right now. Um, we haven't caught up in a while. And one of the things that I've gone through over the last few months is that I've been working with families who have had COVID, who have had family members that died from COVID. Mm. And that's been, again, I feel like I've been able to find a way to meet the crisis. Um, I think as a social worker, as a caring person, just like in 9-11, there's something happens to you. There's just this feeling like, what can I do? Who, where can I help? Right. You know, and where does so that I come do- from for you? Where do you feel like that? Inc- where did you learn that? Why do you, if you're to distill that down, and I mean, really distill it down more so than even like, oh, I got it from my mom or like, which is reasonable if you want to say that. But I'm curious to like, what itch does that scratch in you? Because I was talking about this with a friend yesterday and I'll go, I'll get into that after about my inclinations towards wanting to save people mm-hmm. and trying mm-hmm. to pinpoint where it comes from. Not where save, that, by the way, but well, help. Yeah. I use that in quotations, yeah, right. like, you know, to swoop in, to help, to help, whatever. Um, where does that come from? Do you I, think? I think it's my pride in being a social worker. I don't think it's anything in my family per se, although, as some listeners know, I have grief in my history, but I really, uh, it's how I see a social worker thinking about it. The but name why is that it. important? Where I did work that for the social important? good. And I went to a university for my master's where they were very, it was not clinically oriented. It was very mm-hmm. socially consciously oriented. I went to Stony Brook University. Mm-hmm. And um, so I feel like that's where it came from. And I think where the, does more it come from you, in you? the more you help, the more you're, you're called to help because it feels, you feel something when you help. What do you feel when you help? I feel like I have a purpose. I feel present. Mm. I feel, um, I feel like there's a reason I'm feel fulfilling the reason of my, my life in a way. Yeah. Uh, I just decided, I want to get back to what you're talking about, about COVID. Yeah. But I was chatting with Becky yesterday about this and I was talking about friends that I have or people in my life that I see where I see them, you know, uh, wasting their potential or like, or lost in their life or, you know what I mean? Going down a path where that seems like sad or they could do better or making like bad decisions. And I was trying to think about, I was like, why am I so drawn to helping these kinds of people you know what I mean for me like I see like a friend who's like you know doing something that's going to keep them stuck let's say Mm -hmm. and um 
I want to, I want to try to help them so badly. And I realized I was like, I saw my dad do that. I saw Mm -hmm. my dad who was such a creative, interesting, talented, wonderful person, make some bad decisions and settle on being like, well, fuck it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then ended up alone and Mm -hmm. died terribly and very overweight and immobile and without romantic love and without family surrounding him. And I think for me, I noticed it fuels me into wanting to do that because I I saw Mm -hmm. what can happen if nobody reaches out. You know what I mean? If you if Well it's like quicksand. It's like somebody going in quick falling in quicksand and yeah. Just oh no, I want to reach my hand out. Exactly. You know, I've I've noticed you for years now that, you know, if somebody drops something, you pick it up for them and say, oh, here. And if somebody's, you know, tripping, you know, you try to help them and catch them. And, you know, you just, I feel like you have that in your spirit, too. Yeah, I think yeah. I have it in my spirit, too. And I think I it is learned behavior from growing up with you. And, um, you know, dad had extremely good morals as well. But, like, I think that, like, if I'm going to really explore my own desire, like, my own inclination towards this... I think that there's a part of me that subliminally is like, if I can help this per, you know what I mean? Like this person, um, I could have helped dad, you know what I mean? It'll be validating Mm -hmm. in a way where like, I can finally live out the thing that I was never able to do, which was to help my father not be, not waste Mm -hmm. his life and not, you know, die too young and not miss Mm -hmm. decades of his life because he was out of shape and not give Mm -hmm. up, you know what I mean? And I have a real problem watching people that I love quote give up and I like mm-hmm. can't stand it and it's mm-hmm. not just because I'm a good person it's because it really is like a wound inside of me so I guess when I was just like hearing you talk about like you're mm-hmm. you know you're such a selfless and such a heartfelt person and I guess we've never even really as even as close as we are had this conversation before about like what drives you if I, I'm just wondering if there was some way in that way that actually drives you for a personal reason to help people. I have a quote on my wall from Emily Dickinson and said, basically, what else do we live for other than to help each other? Mm. And it's beautiful. You know, I don't do it in every way, in all ways. I just do it in yeah. the way that I do it. I'm not a selfless yeah. person, but I, whatever way I had, it's in front of me. I was able to get a degree through help. I actually went to school on scholarships because I had um, a, a difficult time in my life and I was able to get scholarships at that time. So I feel so grateful to have the, the um, credentials and the training to do this, yeah. know, to be able to just help every day. Well, that's an interesting point that you make that you're say that you say you do it in whatever way you can. And like, I think that's something that's important to remember just because I think that quote helping or being a part of the quote solution can be like this daunting thing for folks and can be like, well, right. listen, I don't have extra money or I don't have extra time. And right. I can't, I you know I have a full-time job and I have three full-time jobs or I'm in pain or whatever. Like what, what the fuck am I going to do? Or just being like, whatever it can be overwhelming to think about how to be a part of the solution how to help but like just doing the little things you can in whatever way that can be really small it makes a difference a smile it sounds cheesy but like a smile at a stranger actually makes a difference and if that's all you can give that's all you can give and you never know how that gets paid back that smile you know that exactly i always love those pay it forward concepts you know how it makes a difference but i'm thinking of tick nahan and he he talked about um, a Buddhist monk, and he talked about you know just chopping the wood helps if you mm. just chop the wood, 
So it's what you just do that's right in front what of you right now. <laughs> Wait a minute, we're missing part Never of the would story. you we're see? Start chopping. Start so chopping. So basically, listeners, we're telling you, get an axe, just start <laughs> chopping any wood that you see. You know what I'm talking about. No, I'm, I do. So, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on such a major tangent. What were you saying no, about it's... COVID? Because it's... I. You know, no, it's I, complicated. You know, it's obviously it's a, such a complicated issue for so many people right now. And, I, you know, in terms of the losses, the COVID grief, um, it was complicated by not being able to go to the hospital and see your loved one and say goodbye. It was complicated by not knowing what we were dealing with. There was no, you know, people would stay at home and they were both sick. Let's say husband and wife were, they were both sick. And not knowing when do we go to the hospital, when do we not? And then afterwards yeah. feeling guilty about, did I do enough? Did I go th- th- the right time? There's so much guilt, you know, but yeah. guilt is a whole nother subject that comes in with loss. And we've talked about it a little bit in some of our interviews with folks. Um, but I think what it is, is that we're powerless in these situations. And we feel like we have to blame something or someone. And mm. a lot of people end up blaming themselves. They turn it inward and blame themselves. So, right. um yeah, but I'm now I'm finding people are starting to, you know, two, three, four, five months after a loss, it's really good for people to come together. And now they're starting to have groups. I'm starting to join together some of my clients together on a Zoom call so that they can meet each other. Mm. I'm noticing groups are starting up in some of the hospices. Um, and I think the power of healing in a group is so important because people, you know, with, with COVID losses, as in 9-11 losses, they felt like freaks that nobody understood what they were going through. And they were also the object of attention because it was so public. The public tragedies are very unique and they have their own uh, unique qualities that affect the grief. Yeah, we chatted about that with Laura the other day. Right, exactly. With Laura Medaya when she was talking about how her dad's loss was so highly publicized. Yeah, that's right. So, but you know, like you, I just feel every day I wake up and I just feel so much you know, there's just so much pain and loss and sadness and fear going on. There's so much poverty now. I mean, there's so much loss of work and loss of jobs and Absolutely. loss of money. And, you know, people don't have homes. Identity. And the, uh... Which is why it's, I'm finding myself in a lot of having a lot of anger, which le- leads to me having arguments with people about <laughs> politics because I'm just seeing you know, there is so much poverty now and there is so much loss of income and identity and there is no solution for people who are living without health care, which was already a problem. And now mm-hmm. since health care is tied to employment in this country, yes. you know, you have people leaving the hospital with gigantic hospital bills yes. for getting COVID and there's no, no one's offering a solution. Yes. And that's very upsetting. It is. You know, I agree with you. That's very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think we even know the under what's to come in terms of the uh, the effects of COVID in, on our economy. It's yet to come. I mean, absolutely. So, you know, it is really very weird. I mean, I'm one of those people who lost my job. And I mean, I'm a self-employed person, but I've completely, my business has stopped. And, you know, it was like summertime and... Mm. I had a little savings and it was easy to be able to kind of be like, okay, well, I'm going to enjoy the summer. I'm going to walk yeah. around the entire city and eat watermelon and go to the beach and just forget about how weird this is for a minute. And now it's like, it's fall again. And I'm like, okay, well, um, on the one hand, I'm like, you know, oh my God, I'm going to have to switch 
careers. I'm going to have to do kind of, who knows, a clerical job or something I would have never thought had happened. And then I'm like, you know what? So what? That's life. This is like, this is just what it means to adapt. Like I was actually extremely privileged before this to be able to have a career that I actually liked and was, you know, served me in the way where I could have a lifestyle that I wanted to have. And now I'm still privileged, but I just have to do something I kind of don't really probably want to do, perhaps. I mean, it still remains to be seen. I haven't fully sussed out what my future looks like. But if that's the thing, then that's the thing. And I think it's just about, like, it's a very interesting time when you're faced with having to rearrange and reevaluate your life. And it's something that, like, people who we chat with on the show talk about all the time. Something is taken from you that you weren't yes. expected was going to be taken from you. And you just have to, you just have to figure out a way to go on. And you it's just not, have to adjust and adapt. It's, it's just, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. And that is because fair isn't actually a thing. It doesn't exactly. actually exist. Fair is not actually exactly. a thing. Exactly. I mean, one of the best metaphors I may have used this on the show before, but John Bradshaw years ago, he was a famous psychologist and he had a PBS show that was excellent about families. And he talked mm. about the family or any unit being like a mobile. Mm. It's a perfect image. You know, the mobile finally gets settled, all these odd shapes and mm. odd pieces, but somehow it all kind of gets settled. And, and if you take one piece off the mobile and you just yank it out, all of a sudden the mobile starts going crazy, you know, readjusting. Yeah. But eventually it, things move around and reshuffle and replace and, and things become, because we are constantly seeking balance. That's what homeostasis means. It means the human need to constantly try to seek balance and we get off balance and we try to seek balance. Yeah. And it's, it's part of what we do. It's part of, you know, how we are, but there is such a reshuffling now. I mean, I, mm-hmm. um, I'm noticing, I know for you, Zara, you know, so many people in your life are moving out of New York and I hear it all the time, how, how many people are leaving and changing and shifting and reshuffling. So what's that been like for you? Um, that's a good question, Bobby. So, uh, it's, it's sad. And like a lot of my dear friends, everything seems to have gone so fast. It's really strange. I think back to March and it seems like yesterday, you know, and then so much has happened since then, but like, you know, I've had a lot of good friends and family members just in the midst of this decide to leave New York. And, um, I don't know if it's just like my brain and heart protecting itself. Something, nothing really settled in until honestly, until Tuesday when like Mm -hmm. quote summer, I keep saying quote as though it's my new thing (laughs) quote. Um, but uh, as long as you're not air quoting, it's okay. Quotes are okay, but not air over. Um, (laughs) until Tuesday when, uh, when summer is kind of over cause it's like, you know, labor day or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so my cousin and his wife, who I'm I'm an only child. I don't know if you know that, Bobby. <laughs> um, actually, that's not even entirely true because, as some of our listeners may or may not know, I found out a couple of years ago that I have a long lost brother that I never knew about. What up, Brad? You're amazing. But I grew up right pretty much as an only child um, until age, you know, thirty two. 33. Anyway, I digress. Um, My cousin, Rory, who is basically like my brother, we're very close, and his wife, Ika, moved to Colorado. Um, My 
one of my best friends, Nicole, who is the co-host of Life's a Banquet and just my heart and soul is moving back to Indiana. And my best friend and sibling, Dan, um, you know, not actual sibling, but just my, my tech, my, my quote, quote unquote sibling, (laughs) (laughs) Dan Romeo White, um, just moved to LA. And it's really painful because, you know, as you get older too, like, your really core group of people, it, it winds down. And especially during this situation in a pandemic yeah. where like maybe yeah. like, you know, I was always a very social person and I had friends yeah. that, that are in this restaurant I'd go see and I had right. friends over here I'd go see. But, you know, you really like with a lot of things during this uh, pandemic, you really pare everything down. Right. So it's like right. your core group of friends, yes, a couple yeah. activities that you like doing, the your things pod. that actually bring you joy, your pod, yeah. your the yeah. really essential things in your own life. Right. Essential yeah. is a word we've been like using a lot. And in our own personal mm-hmm. lives, we have our own essential things. And so yeah. I'd say like, you know, 30 percent of my essential friend group mm-hmm. has moved yeah. away. And I didn't really feel it hit until Dan left the other day and I found myself unraveling and in grief about it and realizing that like when a friend moves away, like, you know, the relationship has changed forever in a way. Yes. That's the reality. You don't want to believe that. You want to be like, it'll never change. But like it does. And it doesn't in some ways. It does does. change because you don't see them on those comfortable little dinners and walks and talks and things like that. But there's a different relationship that, um, that pursues um i don't i don't want to interrupt you now but i want to tell you about one Please, of my friends i wish you would away. i'm not saying anything my, my very dear friend moved away about um i guess about eight years ago and she moved to oregon barbara and right? it, yeah and my friend barbara and intermittently she, she's the one that kept the relationship going i always say i'm not a good long distance friend because i'm so busy i never think to call her i don't write her maybe on her birthday I'll, but she consistently <laughs> call and try to keep it going and sometimes it would be like you know i'm busy now i can't do this but i started to really feel and appreciate as i'm getting older how hard she worked to keep that relationship going and how much that meant to me so that one person on one side was keeping it going and now she's in the middle of many different life changes you know both her and her husband are getting some different illnesses and things like that. And now they're in the middle of the fires, which brings up a whole other thing. Because when somebody doesn't live near you and you know they're going through something difficult, it's a different Mm -hmm. kind of a pain. When they're near you, you can help them. You can reach out in different ways. She can't even get to a phone. The phone lines are down. You know, her house is burning. I, You know, so, um, but I will tell you that it does shift. When somebody first goes away, there's a tearing away. It feels like a piece of you is gone. But as I always say with people who have losses, then the internal relationship begins. And mm. that's something that's very deep and very important and very special. So um, totally. from my experience in, in having friends move away, that is something that happens. Totally. But then, and, uh, you know, I mean, and really also just coping with, I also know that you've had friends that have moved away over the years who it and you know, the friendships right. ended. That's right. And that's right. And that's an actual reality, too. That, that I mean, I don't think that's going to happen with any of my friends, but who knows? Yeah. And just, like, realizing that, I don't know. It was just this really – it felt like a big shakeup, and I know that a lot of people are experiencing that. Or, on the opposite end, being faced with the fact that, like, they've lived in – I'm just going to use New York as an example because that's where yeah. I live. 
but I'm sure this is happening in a lot of places, what cities or, or not cities, where people are having to leave their homes and in, you know, the worst case scenario, becoming houseless. And, you know, other than that, also just having to move back in with parents, having to leave a, a dream that they had, because in a lot of ways, you know, living on your own in a, in a metropolitan city, mm-hmm. in a metropolitan city, I'm from the 40s. Um, but as like, it's a big deal and it's an accomplishment and it fe- yes. and we're all being faced, I think with being not all, but a lot of us are being faced with a kick in the teeth, yeah. you know, a real kick in the teeth and a real, like, you know, I can just speak for myself and I'm not trying to get any kind of sympathy here, but just being really honest, like I've worked really, really, really hard in my life for yeah. wh- what I, what I have professionally mm-hmm. And, um, I almost died for it, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) I almost died in an accident and Mm -hmm. I used that money to kind of start a new career. And now Mm -hmm. I don't have that career anymore at all. Mm -hmm. And it's really upsetting and it hurts and it's painful and like figuring Mm -hmm. out how to just be like, you know, at the same time, like at this point in this whole crisis, I'm really just kind of. I don't know if it's foolish or if it's just like a turtle shell that I'm putting on. I do have some kind of like maybe ridiculous optimism that things, something will be okay. But for everybody out there who's listening, who feels like they got fucking kicked in the teeth, you did. (laughs) And it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, And it just sucks. Which you're, you're really talking about the, you know, something that's been written through the ages about, which is, you know, the dark night, the abyss, um, the fall from the the fall, you know? Yeah. And I always think of the Phoenix rising, you know, falling into the darkest ashes and then rising again. And it was, a, it was actually a metaphor during nine 11. It felt like everything had come to ashes. And then you can see over the last, you know, 19 years, how, you know, I, I was looking at uh, some of the families reading and I was realizing they were just little kids then. And now they, they mm. were, you know, adults reading the names and, yeah. um, I realized that they had risen, you know, from what was the darkest place. So I guess, you know, being a professional bereavement and trauma therapist, I'm with people every day who feel like they're in, they are in the abyss, not just feel like it. If it is the abyss. It's the unknown. It's the darkness. There's no hope. And yet everything keeps changing. You know, um, I had a, you know, I love my quotes and I, I put one of these quotes in my newsletter. It says things that please us are temporary Things that disturb us change. The important things are eternal. And it's a quote from someone's mother. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) That's sweet. You know, Bobby, I wanted to mention that I think one of the reasons that, you know, aside from the fact that the actual uh, implications of what happened during 9-11 are different because, you know, it wasn't necessarily a financial crisis like what's happening now and so many people losing their jobs. But aside from those differences... You know, you always talk, you always quote Viktor Frankl and saying that community mm-hmm. is a survival is a community event, quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I think what's important to remember about this crisis is that um, it's it's a really important time to remember the value of supporting community. Right. Yes. It's been a beautiful thing to see so many mutual aid things pop up. But one of the mm-hmm. things that continues to frustrate me, and again, I'm sorry to bring that back to politics, but just to, to think about is that um, people in our 
community, our global community, but if we're just going to think of it nationally, like uh, really need our help right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's like really important Mm -hmm. to advocate for each other in this time and advocate for the fact that like we are lacking social programs that are allowing people to mm-hmm. be able to actually heal from this because I love yes. the image of a phoenix rising from the ashes but that has to be able to be supported in a realistic way and it has to be for someone, everybody right because a phoenix can't rise from a pile of ashes when there's literally nothing around them to like to help, them. help yes. you know and how, so, how much can a human spirit be beaten down and still be able to rise? Right. And so there yeah. was a thing about, you know, in 9-11 that we were able to support each other almost like emotionally. Yeah. And that was like, and, and to all be in this kind of com- like, you know, communal grief and, and unity in that way. And now there's actual real practical things that need to happen, which is that people mm-hmm. in this country need to have... Um, financial assistance provided mm-hmm. by the government I means mm-hmm. you have me- uh, medicare mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh different mm-hmm. things like rent forgiveness and mortgage mm-hmm. forgiveness mm-hmm. and student loan forgiveness and things yes. like that that are like deeply deeply important to people being able to get through this specific crisis now yeah. obviously there are many other Amen. crises yep that are terrible like the climate crisis and police mm-hmm. brutality and, and things of that nature that need to be addressed as well immediately however if we're talking about covid as a specific crisis in our community and being able to rise up we really all have to think about what that means to be able to help people and really dig deep in thinking about Mm. how we demand that that is provided because people are Mm. losing their homes they've lost Mm -hmm. their jobs they're losing their Mm. sanity they're losing their sense of self they're losing their lives they're losing their health You know, so when we talk about it being a community event, it's more than with 9-11 where thoughts and prayers were enough in a way. Right. 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 It's not enough now because people really need help and we have to demand that they get it and that we get it because people are really screwed. And, you know, those what was it? Two, three thousand people. You know, those families were all helped. They were helped in a pretty big way, you know. Yeah. And um, I agree with what you're saying. You always remind me of the bigger picture. And I appreciate that. You know, I work every day in the small one-on-one and you always yeah. give me that perspective of the bigger picture. And I appreciate that so much. Yeah. I just so, think it's yeah. like, we can, we need to think about how to like actually offer solutions, you know, and we're also inflamed yeah. and so upset and activated and on edge and wanting to just put the, you know, proverbial fire out that's happening is that we have to really think about the people who we may not know in our actual lives who are drowning, you know, who are truly drowning. Um, Amen. How do we really reach a handout for real? Yep. So one of the things that I was also thinking about um, was, and we were talking last night a little bit about the show is that, you know, how are we getting through this? You know, with all, not mm. just us, what we personally are going through, but the grief that we hold for everything, for everybody and for everything that's happening. Yeah. You know, we just keep carrying a very big weight. So how do how do you manage that, Zara? Because you feel so deeply about so many things. So what keeps you strong? What keeps you above the water? Well, well in a person, well, I'm a big believer in that, like, you know, you have to indulge yourself in your personal work and your personal life in order to be valuable, I think, to the world. So mm-hmm. it was, I was talking about Becky this last, about this last night with, she was talking about therapy and talking about feeling 
I'm not, I'm not going to give away what you're saying about therapy, but just feeling like a guilt about when you, you know, and I felt this too, when you go to therapy and you're talking about what seems like your stupid problems or whatever. Your microcosm, right. Right. And I was saying to her and I was like, it's important to work through your own shit, whatever your problem might mm-hmm. be. It's not stupid. Mm-hmm. It's your shit because right. then you're working on yourself so you can be more useful as a part to of the whole commu- to the community. Whole. Yeah. And so I believe in that as a first step so for me like I do what I can I try to drive out to some nature and clear my head I try to chat with my friends I try to do yoga I go for long walks I do things to keep myself as balanced as possible and grounded I love to use that word so yeah all the walking you've done you are in your soul (laughs) yeah I walk like 15 (laughs) miles a day um how many how many miles say that again Often, like my long walks are like 20 miles. I'm averaging between 10 and 15 miles a day. And I don't do it every day. I do it like four days, five days a week. Right. Um, but doing things that bring me little bits of joy, even small things like eating chocolate that I really like, you know. Right. So I know that sounds silly. No, I have a name for it. A client once gave me this name and I just love it. I said, can I use that? She called it Bubbles it? of Joy. Ah, yeah, bubbles of joy. And they are. They're these little bubbles. And when you see them, you, you have to catch them. You have to be in them. You know, yeah. they're around you. So we have to just catch them. And I agree with that. I actually saw a quote today, another quote, 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 quote. And it was from, it says, birds sing after a storm. Mm-hmm. Why should we not feel as free to delight in whatever sunlight remains? I think that's great. And I think it's Ro- Rose hard. Kennedy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Rose Kennedy as in the Kennedys? <laughs> yep, Rose, mama. Oh, the mom. Who was the daughter Kennedy who they gave a lobotomy to? I don't know. I thought that <laughs> was Rose question. Kennedy. Let's go she, back to Bubbles and Joy. I'm saying if that, that Kennedy did not have a lot of choice. She got lobotomized against her will. No, but um, no. so I guess my point just is, is that like it's – I always find it difficult and in in line with what Becky was saying, almost find it difficult to have joy and personal, personal good times during times that have been so difficult. And we've had some really oppressive, crazy, difficult, painful times between COVID and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is obviously a positive thing, but watching so much police brutality and and being even more aware than ever of so much pain and injustice it's been very difficult to feel okay about feeling okay. But I do think that like feeling okay about feeling okay in what way you can is a first line is a first step in being able to be more helpful to your community in terms of pitching in. And and remember, it's not a good time. It's the bubbles. It's just the bubbles. I, I also have another way of describing this, the string of pearls theory. You know, we'd like to think that everything is a string of pearls and all the pearls are together a good time. It's not. Mm. It's a little pearl here and a little pearl there. And a pearl could be talking to your neighbor even though he's wearing a MAGA shirt. You know, yeah. a pearl can be the bite of the tenderest corn you ever had. You know, sure. a, a pearl can be what we've experienced this summer where you have driven miles and miles to meet me at the ocean shore, you know, mm. and to just watch the twinkles of light, you know, and to yeah. watch that. A, a pearl could be hearing somebody play the drums, just a sound. A pearl oh, could be what people were doing in um, with COVID where they were all getting on their porches or outside on their balconies and, and at seven o'clock, you know, that's a pearl. Yeah. So there's so many different pearls. It can just be a sunlight. Have you ever noticed the shadows that the sun makes just in a moment? You can just see a little 
a little twicker of light and that's a pearl. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, my life changed a lot and my social life, the things I do to entertain myself, like yeah. my income, the fact I haven't worked in six months, you know, in a real way. Um, and I noticed when I was like taking these walks and like just listening to music, I was like recentering mm. what my sense of joy is and sense right. of purpose. And I one day was walking, I was walking in like fucking, where was I? Like uh, Prospect Lefter's Garden, like Kensington area. And I walked by a fig tree. And I'm like listening to a song and it's shiny out, it's sunny out. And I like just was like, doo, doo, doo. and I like reach up and I picked a fig <laughs> off this tree and I bit into it like some kind of mystical deer. And I was just like, wow, life is That's good. A story. But you know, or, you're just like recenter, or, you like refine yeah, the things that make you exactly. happy. Exactly. Which brings us to the subject. The fig brings us to the subject of food. And mm. that is another way. And no matter what, how much money you spend on the food or how little you spend on the food. You know? Yeah. Um, a lot of people I know have started gardens. So many different people, mm -hmm. um, whether they were roof gardens or, or families who never had gardens before and they were doing it with their kids, you know, and yeah. then they're all talking about the size of their pumpkins and the eggplant, how many eggplants yeah. they have and, That's you know, cool. and how they're using them and teaching their kids about vegetables for the first time, you know, really teaching them how to cook vegetables and stuff like that. So what has been some of the foods that have sustained you over this, uh, period of time? Mm, great question. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say chocolate and ice cream. <laughs> not Yay. chocolate ice cream, though. I don't like chocolate ice cream. Oh, Isn't that weird? Mm. I mean, it's not that I don't like it. It just would never be my first choice. Mm. But um, really, like, loving a treat. I haven't really been drinking mm. very much. I haven't in the past year. Drank. I mean, I still will have a drink now and then, but I don't really drink mm -hmm. very much. And so right. um, indulging in a treat of, like, you know, some good chocolate or some delicious mm -hmm. ice cream and feeling so appreciative for it instead of feeling like, oh, I shouldn't eat this, you know, feeling like, yes, I'm so lucky. I get to eat chocolate. Right. I could die tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? Like, right. Exactly. Uh, huh? So those things have been really great. Learning to make coffee, which I think might be surprising for folks because I'm a chef, but I really never made coffee at home before. So taking, but you're like, also your your mother's daughter. I never made coffee. I used to cater thousands of people and I never made coffee. So yeah. So <laughs> making coffee at home has been cool. Um, and then I guess also spaghetti. Mm. I love spaghetti and I've been loving having spaghetti with like... Um, lentils or chickpeas in it mm -hmm. and tomato and um mm -hmm. and then I put arugula salad right on top of it nice. like lemony arugula salad with herbs and pecorino and sometimes pistachios right on top of the spaghetti Lovely. and eat Lovely. and like sh really shove it in my mouth um yeah. and just loving living alone I guess and mm -hmm. having all my weird eating habits like eating out of the pot or like right. <laughs> you know making coffee with you know, a shirt and no pants or underwear on <laughs> like things like that. And instead of feeling like, Oh God, I wish I had a boyfriend or a husband right, right, being like, right. I'm so fucking glad I'm alone in this apartment. And I, you know, I'm eating butter, scraping it off of the stick onto a cracker and fuck it. You can't do none of you husbanded up. People can do that. So, um, that's good. And, you know, in the farmer's market, as, as always, being just like um, going to the farmer's market and um, 
seeing all the beautiful stuff that all the really like determined, kind, sweet farmers and yeah, uh, are still working so hard to provide people with nice food and nice vegetables. And um, the farmer's market is also just a wonderful place because they take EBT and food stamps. And a lot of people have been relying on that now. And it's great to be able to see wow. people getting fresh, good food um, in an outdoor airy environment. Yes. It's just been, yes. it's like a good, it's beautiful. So that's yeah. Nice. Wow. That's beautiful. And yeah. it really is true. Like a, a farmer's market it never ceases to amaze us where all those things come from, how they're grown, the yeah. variety of colors and shapes. And it elicits so many creative juices. It's just so exciting to see. Totally. That. And speaking of wonderful. juices, I should also mention that something else that I've loved recently and you and I gorged on the other day ah. is watermelon. Yes. Oh, my Hip hip hooray for watermelon. watermelon. Ooh, and I, I can't say that I haven't been drinking during this pandemic. Uh, not a lot, but I will say that watermelon cocktails are really, mm. you know, just mm-hmm. watermelon, lemon, lime, and vodka and ice. And woo, yeah. that is fun. That is just, that's, that's summer. That's good eating. So for, for me, I'm trying to think what other foods. I guess what sticks out of my mind, I started making um, salmon tacos, which are mm. really fun. And that's been Yum. fun. And I am I am somehow addicted to egg salad i don't know what's happening i, I, <laughs> I sometimes crazy. eat it three times a day i sometimes <laughs> eat it three times a day you heard it here so, for, uh, first folks bobby's and, addicted to egg salad yep and sourdough rye little slips of sourdough rye so i guess that's Ooh. been with a slice of tomato and tomatoes tomatoes lovely Ooh, wonderful i mean tomatoes. summer is about that corn tomatoes yeah. peaches we had a peach a day and Oof. that was really incredible we travel an hour to the best farm we could find and get yeah great peaches so Bobby, those are the bubbles of joy i've what? been eating a lot of raw peppers loving peppers the other day i bit into a pepper like it was an apple yeah your grandma <laughs> loved to do that your grandma loved a pepper she would take it peppers. she would slice it and and just to honor grandma two days will be her anniversary her eighth anniversary of her passing oh grandma bye so bubbles of joy to bubbles to of joy the- you're a bubble of joy Look at you, you you little cute bubble of joy. All right, folks. Well, that was uh, a great chat, Bobby. And really nice to catch up with you. I mean, I love talking with you with guests on the show. And uh, I also love talking to you four times a day like we normally do. But (laughs) it is very nice. Oh, one other thing I want to mention, not food related. I'm just going to go ahead and put this right here. Nora Ephron. If anybody needs a little bubble of joy and a little like visual Xanax, Go ahead and watch any, every Nora Ephron movie. I watch When Harry Met Sally almost every day. And the Nora Ephron documentary that was uh, came out a couple of years ago, I believe. Now you can watch it on HBO. It's great. And thank you to Nicole Bailey, who uh, whose Nora Ephron obsession has fueled mine own. But yeah, that's another thing that's helped get me through this pandemic. And Robert so that- Redford... <laughs> so let's let's send out just you know to again to just honor this day you know to honor all the different ways that we experience losses and there are so many losses in life every day there's so many gains and so many losses and there's and and just honoring the the courage that it takes to be able to just deal to just accept what is and how totally. hard that is that's good bobby i love you and thanks you. for tuning in guys we'll see you next week bye okay bye
This episode is brought to you by Vertera. Impressively versatile, stylishly sustainable, environmentally disposable dinnerware from Fallen Leaves. Vertera is a mission-driven company focused on making environmentally responsible single-use products. Founded in 2006 on the belief that every culinary creation deserves a beautiful, sustainably crafted foundation. Vertera reclaims earthly discards like fallen leaves and tree scraps to design elegant, disposable dinnerware that elevates the look of food presentation. In short, a beautiful, disposable plate that can go with your food to a composting facility. The team from Vertera recently made a huge pivot with their factories and started producing masks, gloves, sanitizer, and other PPE that food businesses need to safely reopen. Learn more at Vertera.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-R-R-A dot com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.